Usually, you send flowers and chocolate on Valentine's Day, but America's best-known crime boss sent a bloody message instead. In the Windy City at the height of Prohibition, gang wars, barrels of illegal liquor, and seven dead bodies found in a warehouse. Was this bloody scene the work of the original Scarface, or, like love, was it much more complicated? This week's episode is The St. Valentine's Day Massacre. In the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinister Okay, before we get started, I want us to find out our mobster nicknames. Okay. So I am on mymobname.com. So we can all participate. Yes, and then everyone can participate and then send us on social media what your mob names are. So here's Heather's. All you do is enter your first and last name. Okay. Okay, your mob name is Hetha Bacala. That doesn't make any sense. What website is this? It's my mob name. No, no, no. The best part, the best part, here's here's how I'll I'll help you generate your mob name. Okay. The best part of this whole all the research that we did for this is that <laughs> What's yours? CW Buck. Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> Still not the one I would want no, no, though. No. The best part is that people have reasonable names like Jack McGurn or whatever, or Fred Burke. Those aren't like crazy names. The they have a middle name or a middle nickname with uh, in quotes. Quotes around it. Yeah. So you know, killer, whatever, or skinny neck. Or three Jack, three finger Jack. Then one guy's name was Crane Neck because probably he had a skinny neck. So you either have to take a physical characteristic. So mine would probably be big ass. <laughs> Heather, big ass. Yes. And mine would probably be big tits then. There you go. Or you can take a thing that they always do. So like killer killed people. Right. Mine would be probably like sleeper. Because <laughs> I try to sleep as much oh, as possible, yeah. even though I can't. Mine would probably be Christy Cheeto Eater Wallace. Cheeto Eater. <laughs> yeah. So you take you take a favorite thing that you do. Yes. And that, there's a really great Monty Python sketch that uh, the guy's name is Arthur Two Sheds Jackson because he used to have two sheds. <laughs> and he's actually like a really good composer, I think. And he's trying to talk about musical composition. And the whole time the guy just keeps asking Ask about, about his, his sheds. sheds. And he said, I had them, but I don't anymore. He said, well, why, he still why would you ever have two sheds? He said, that place had it when I moved in and I added one because I didn't like the... Anyway. <laughs> That's great. So your mafioso name is going to be Two Sheds or, you know, it's whatever uh, sure. characteristic about yourself. But this is a, a good story, a good topic because it's set in one of my absolute favorite cities Same. in the whole world. I was thinking today, top three cities, Chicago is one of them. New Orleans is one of them. Ooh, man. Okay. Yeah. My other two were San Diego. and then my- Really? Yes. Have you ever been? I've been. I had to went for a conference. So I got a taste of the gas lamp district was awesome. Yeah. I had a really great meal there. But it's gorgeous. I, I, there's Perf- nothing wrong with it. Perfect weather all the time. That's true. Stay on the beach. That's true. It's beautiful beaches. The water's amazing. Perfect weather all the time. And a lot of cool rest like little restaurants and cafes. Well, I will not be so quick to judge San Diego. It does it's sound very great. Good. I I had a we stayed on the beach and it was fantastic. Well, that's true. You went up the whole uh, West Coast. This was actually we went for my mom and brother's birthdays are four days apart. So when my mom turned sixty, my brother turned thirty. Yes, that's correct. So it was like a big milestone for both of them, well, and we nice. all rented a beach house in San Diego, and it was a lot of fun. Well, what San Diego doesn't have and what Chicago does have is a beautiful storied history of organized crime. Yes, I do not think San Diego has that. Well, you know, it's the beach. It's the weather's nice. They they got more relaxing to it's do. It's not as much of a... Beaches don't evoke gangster, ma- mafioso type of... 
mentality and also vibe. the location was bad for run and rum in prohibition era which is why they chose chicago true, very true it was at the top of a train line and actually it was a train line that ran from chicago down to new orleans and that's how they got a lot of liquor down there mm, another fantastic city yeah and they would bring the liquor from canada on the lake and so. one as we discussed in our last week's episode we love canada so yes. all three of these places that we just mentioned if you can tell fabulous we feel real bad about the canada thing still uh <laughs> so we don't we're really trying not to piss off any group of folks no especially location-based so which is why we want to make it very clear that we do not necessarily agree with some of the things we'll be talking about today but it's just history and fact. It's just stuff that happened. So what are we talking about today? Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And we are talking about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Now, this was a thing I've always heard about and I never really knew a ton about. Same. Most of my Al Capone knowledge comes from the movie The Untouchables mm-hmm. with Kevin Costner and Robert De Niro. I still have not seen it. God damn it. But I, especially after doing research for this, really want to. It's just a good movie. And if you have Amazon Prime, it's on uh, Amazon Video right now. Oh, sweet. Uh, included with your membership. And okay. Kevin Costner was uh, four, 36, or yeah, 36 at the time when they shot it. Elliot Ness, who he plays, was 26. Mm. Al Capone was 30 at the time of the events taking place. Robert De Niro was 44. <laughs> so I, when all doing right. all this research, I thought, man, Al Capone's face looks pretty young compared to Robert De Niro's grizzled right? mug. And he was very young. Well, and then I realized, this, yeah, the casting was, although De Niro does a fantastic job and it's a good movie. But He's yeah, great. this was the weird thing as we go through this is that Al Capone was 30. Mm-hmm. Yes. And was, what were, I mean, I can't imagine having... All of that pressure and running an entire organized crime unit. He was like a thirty he years was old, like a CEO. Although, I mean, look at Mark Zuckerberg. I that's, guess it can that's be done. Sure. He is a, a mafioso in his own right. <laughs> well, let's get into this. Between 1924 to 1930, Chicago had a reputation for being a city of lawlessness and violence. Despite the 18th Amendment enacting prohibition in 1920, Chicago was not one to enforce it. And members of organized crime saw this as the perfect opportunity to line their pockets. Mobsters were already in charge of gambling, prostitution, and extortion of politicians, so it became a natural move to also control all the liquor. At the head of all this was America's most infamous gangster, Al Scarface Capone. Now, Al Capone was born in Brooklyn and then ended up in Chicago Mm -hmm. and was second or third in line. And as these sort of groups emerged he realized that he was kind of willing to do whatever it takes and then the other guys started backing down because they weren't as hardcore as al capone was yes and he's got a badass nickname oh yeah he's the original it's no cw buck but okay he does have a scar on his face he did i think he got cut by a knife when he was 12 or something well damn by 30 years old capone was the most powerful gangster in the u.s due to his brutal tactics and strict demands of loyalty from his men Several hundred men worked under Capone to carry out his dirty work and, in turn, made him insanely rich. It was estimated that Capone was pulling in $60 million a year from the illegal activities of bootlegging, gambling, and prostitution. And in 1927, his estimated net worth was $100 million. He was living it up. And that's in the 20s money that's not in- adjusted for inflation that's insane that was so that's much. an insane amount of money in today's market but back then holy shit that's crazy despite being an extremely paranoid and incredibly violent man capone was flashy flamboyant and beloved by italians he drove a big limo and people would stop on the streets to wave at him as he drove by He also loved the spotlight and would often give interviews and allow the press to photograph his operations. Possibly most endearing was that he would give a lot of the money he made from Prohibition to the poor, making him a sort of mafioso Robin Hood. Yeah, he basically was operating his his whole enterprise outside the city in Cicero, which is like a suburb. And he wanted to move into the city, but there was a new mayor in town, and the mayor was tough on crime. So Al just found the old mayor, who was very corrupt, and said, hey, do you want to be mayor again? And the old mayor said, no one's going to vote for me. And Al Capone said, I will give you all the dollars, and I will make you be mayor again if you are cool with me and don't 
obviously sick the cops on me. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. And then once that mayor was elected, then Al moved his operations to the Lexington Hotel and took up two full floors and was basically letting the three main newspapers in Chicago at the time come in with full photographers, take photos. And he would always say, I'm a legitimate businessman. I'm just a businessman trying to run my business. But obviously he was, well, first of all, he was doing massive amounts of cocaine, but he was running all of these illegal operations from that. What did he say his business was? I w- I think he would always say he was in construction or like construction yeah. or shipping stuff that you couldn't really track. track. Mm-hmm. Just so, like the Sopranos. Can you just imagine though that that a well known gang member or organized crime boss letting the press in? Although I guess it's similar now to if people are doing illegal stuff and they're taking selfies and put on Instagram. Sure. Yeah. Also, I think our president does illegal stuff all the time, and he's always in the news. I mean, he's always out. He's stupid enough to say stuff a lot. Capone's main rival was George Bugs Moran. Moran was the leader of Chicago's Northside Gang, made up predominantly of Irish Americans. Both men were power-hungry, ruthless, and fighting for control over the bootlegging trade in Chicago. Moran had been moving in on Capone's territories, and it was no secret Capone wanted him dead. In addition to being longtime rivals, two of the Northside gang members, Frank and Peter Gusenberg, had attempted to murder Jack McGurn, a small-time boxer and member of Al Capone's gang, a few months earlier. The Northside gang had also killed Pasqualino, Patsy Lillardo, and Antonio, the Scourge Lombardo, both whom had been presidents of the Unione, is that how you would say that? Yes. Siciliana. Oh, look, so from our episode last week, I'm look just, I am fluent in Italian you've been now. You're your Italian. A fraternal organization made up of Sicilian-Americans that was extremely influential in political matters, the local mafia, and were tight with Al Capone. All of this put a huge target on Moran's back and made him public enemy number one in the eyes of Capone and his men. And what happened with the people before, who were in charge before Al Capone Bugs Moran had managed to kill a lot of people close to them, and that's literally why they stepped down, because that was, if you couldn't kill your main target, you would just kill all the people around them and would weaken them, because if you kill their family, the people they trust, then there's they have no, no one. There's no support system. And right. also, you look around at the people you love and think, uh, is it worth losing everybody I love to be in charge of this operation? Al Capone's answer was yes. yes. And also, I'll kill you first. <laughs> that seemed to be his go-to set. Ah, and that's- He'd also killed the leader before Bugs Moran was the leader of the Northside Gang. Capone and his men had killed that leader, too. And if you're into all this stuff, which I got way deep into a rabbit hole, there's a show on A&E called Making the Mob. And it's long, long, long. I watched the St. Valentine's Day Massacre and the episodes on either end of it to get some context. But it's really well done. It's part reenactment and part historical narrative. But it goes way into it. And here's the thing, man. When Al Capone didn't give a fuck. He, oh, God, no. He did. This is the classic case of a person who's so drunk on power and money and more, 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 more. He was he was willing to do. Didn't play by the rules. Didn't think they applied to him. No, he was above the law. He was above yes. everything. Yes, 100 percent. So that leads him to think, you know what? I can do it. I can pull this off. No one else could, but I could. Well, let's get into the actual massacre. It is believed that Capone's plan was to lure Bugs Moran to 2122 North Clark Street, the Northside Gang's warehouse where they illegally stored liquor, under the guise that he and his gang would be receiving a stolen shipment of whiskey. By 10.30 a.m. on February 14, 1929, most of Moran's men had arrived at the warehouse, but Moran was running late. Because of his late arrival, he and one of his gang members, Ted Newberry, saw a police car approaching the front of the garage as they were walking up to the back. They immediately turned around and headed to a local coffee shop. There it is. Sometimes sleeping in will save your life. Always. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Hit the snooze button one more time. And look, he he didn't get slayed down in his own garage. Correct. He saved his own life due to lateness. Moran wasn't even at the scene, but Capone's lookout across the street, Byron Bolton, had mistakenly identified... Albert Weinshank, a member of the Northside gang that had the same height and build as Moran, as the primary target, 
and ordered the killers to move in, thinking Moran was on the property. Do you want to be the person that fucks up Al Capone's big hits? Hell no. Also, Byron Bolton probably man, got slapped. Ain't in a bitch to be Albert Weinshank. <laughs> you just <laughs> happen to look like the guy that's and true. get taken out. Man, that's true. Yeah, God. both these guys were not having a good day. <laughs> not at all. Witnesses said they saw a cop car pull up to the garage and four men get out. Two were dressed as police officers, while the other two were donned in suits, ties, overcoats, and hats. The locals assumed the garage was being raided because of all the illegal activities that went on there. This is exactly what Capone and his men wanted both the locals and Moran's gang to think. So watching The Untouchables as a child, which if any of you have seen it or then subsequently watch it because of this episode... It's an incredibly violent movie. There's a lot of shooting in it. And there's a really creepy guy who works for the Capone organization who dresses up as a cop. He uses it as a disguise to do hits pretty much. And I remember as a kid being terrified by the notion that a person in a police officer outfit could be anything other than a police officer. Ooh. I was so scared. And I was also unreasonably scared of the mafia, which doesn't really exist at the on the same terms as it did at this time well and baby heather wasn't going to be having any run-ins with the mob i don't think so but (laughs) it's for a little bit more context so they passed prohibition in 1920 and this is 1929 when this massacre happened and it was increasingly more and more and more violent and it's basically like we saw with drug wars in the 1980s and 90s i mean and now ostensibly but it's The government came in with this grand idea that they were going to cut off the fund supply for all the new immigrants from Europe, the Italians, the Irish and the Germans. And they were it was pretty much passed with a little bit of an anti-immigrant, not a little bit. It was pretty almost openly anti-immigrant bias. And it did not go very well because it basically made everybody a criminal. Yeah. Because everyone drank. Rich people drank, poor people drank, good people drank, bad people drank. So when it's you... It's a el- common equalizer. It's a common equalizer. And I think it's actually similar to marijuana use now. That oh, yeah. I would agree with It's that. kind of an open secret or like getting to be a little bit more accepted, but... This is a, they made this thing they basically made marijuana illegal because it was primarily used in more progressive or communities of color and they're thinking okay well we'll throw all these people in jail for having a little bit of weed on them but what they don't realize is that your principal of your high school maybe smokes weed or your doctor or your lady at the grocery store the PTA mom you know it's one of those things where it, then we all are sort of united people are united in this common habit this common vice yeah so in the 1920s you had a lot of speakeasies and that's when jazz was invented so i guess thank you prohibition for that but (laughs) it made everyone sort of a criminal and i think if you're a cop and you have to break the law to drink and you have to which all these cops were absolutely drinking so not i mean they were already criminals but now they're Openly criminals. Yeah, and, it, and then once they're drinking, well, then they've been seen drinking. So then the, the mafia people say, well, do you want us to tell your boss, who probably was also drinking? So they would do these fake raids on these speakeasies or these – there would be raids all the time. And Moran and his gang were used to it. Correct. So and, if if the cops show up to do a raid, they're not even going to bat It's not eyes. really – like when Bugs walks up and sees the cops, he's not thinking, oh, my God, they're all going to get shot down. He's like, eh, a couple of my guys are going to go to jail. It's a pain in the ass. They'll be out by the end of the day. Yeah. I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to turn around. I don't feel like doing I got stuff to do. I just woke up. I got stuff to do. So that's kind of the the scene that we're in here overall is that the cops were kind of doing their job, but kind of also also not. a lot of them were in the mob's back pocket. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because they were drinking at the speakeasies, Mm -hmm. so they were all friendly. Yes. So the only people that were at all enforcing anything come much later from the federal government that are totally removed from this community. Well, the cops... Entered the warehouse and ordered Moran's men to line up facing a brick wall. They then stripped them of all their guns, typical of what would happen in one of the routine raids. The cops then opened the back door and let in the two hitmen dressed in suits, each armed with a Thompson submachine gun, more commonly known as Tommy guns. Shout out, Tommy. Mm, Yes, this is his gun. Before the Northside gangsters could put two and two together, all seven of them were brutally gunned down by 70 rounds of ammo fired in 10 seconds. Yeah, these Tommy guns were powerful, powerful machine guns that you could buy at the five and dime store. That's insane. <laughs> these are the 
These are the quintessential gangster. I mean, any gangster mob movie you see, this is what they're using. It's a, and this is what put them in the, on the map for Hollywood to use them. Correct. This sort of this whole thing is what the photos of this and, and the quintessential hitman in the hat and the way that Al Capone dressed and then using the Tommy guns. This was such a huge story that it forever changed the face of the gangster in movies. But the Absolutely. Tommy guns had these the round cartridges you're mm-hmm. used to seeing. And one of the two guns had a 50 round mag and the other one had a 20 round mag and they unloaded them in seconds yeah and the photos were shown all over the newspapers and are still very easy i mean you google saint valentine's day massacre the photos will immediately pop up you do not have to go searching for them so if that sort of stuff bothers you just heads up yeah don't google it i've I've seen a lot of i've seen a lot of dead bodies in the past few days yeah it's a lot but and the tommy guns are super powerful they shoot at like a thousand feet per second i mean they they're and they were standing nine feet away nine feet away the bullets just go and completely ricochet off the brick wall some of the guys had shots in the front because the bullet would shoot through them ricochet off and then shoot so a double shot wow talk about overkill it's so it's excessive well after hearing gunshots ring out witnesses said they saw the two cops lead the two men in suits out of the warehouse with guns pointed at their back continuing the ruse of a raid all four then got into a police car that was waiting for them this is the perfect escape too it really is a very good thought out plan which is why it's so scary that cops can be anything but cops (laughs) They, they can do that's Kind of the that's been a thing for several serial killers to dress as cops mm-hmm. or pretend to be something something uh, of in authority. charge. Yeah. yeah, somebody of authority. They did say that Al Capone came up with this idea with a couple of guys, and at first the guys just said, "This is impossible. This would take so much organization." And if you believe that Al Capone did it, we'll get to the theories mm-hmm. here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that this was basically planned with military like precision of at this time you're going to do this and you'll be here and they'll be waiting and we'll come and do this. So he. He... I think it's a very good lesson in if you believe you can do it, then you can. Exactly. Don't give up on your dreams. <laughs> if if someone... you can dream it, you can do it. Don't let the naysayers hold you down. <laughs> you can carry out your dreams with military-like precision. Um, just put pen to paper and you can make it happen. <laughs> when the real police arrived, they were greeted with a horrific scene. Six men lay dead. Somehow, one of the victims, Frank Gusenberg, was still clinging to life despite being shot 14 times. Police rushed him to the hospital, where they asked him who had shot him. Not wanting to be a rat, Gusenberg replied, Nobody shot me! Before taking his last breath. Man, those mob ties run deep. Nobody shot me! Sir, you've been shot at least 14 times. Some things have said up to 22 times. So many times. A lot of times. My question is, first of all, you're going to die, so who cares? who you rat out second of all you're not ratting anybody out because you hate those other people anyway you would just be getting in trouble the people that were your rivals i always thought i guess it runs both ways but goodfellas is one of my favorite movies i've never seen Goodfellas. oh man it's so good but there's a huge thing in there where he doesn't rat somebody out and he goes to prison and does his time a lot of them do because but they're not ratting out their own people yeah so he's right He's protecting other. Yeah, he's protecting the enemy, but I guess it's still just street code. That's true. And you do any. It's us against the cops, even if you hate each other. Yes, that's true. You have a common enemy, just like weed bonds people. The hatred of the cops also bonds. (laughs) I mean, in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yes, especially if it's not really cops. Bloodthirsty journalists arrive shortly after the cops, and despite it being against journalistic ethics to show the faces of crime victims. Grizzly photographs displaying the bloody scene and bullet-riddled bodies were soon splashed across the front page of Chicago's newspapers. The massacre was the crescendo of gang crime in Chicago, and fed-up locals now demanded authorities do something about the brutal and rampant violence. And it wasn't just a news story in Chicago. This was nationwide news across and actually even across the world. In one of the documentaries I saw, it was a journalist from France and another journalist from Italy that said that it was in newspapers, not that they were alive at the time, but that it was reported in newspapers across the world of look at how violent and dangerous America is. And specifically Chicago is because Chicago was a landing pad for a lot of immigrants coming to the U S because of the industrial boom. Mm -hmm. There was a ton of factory jobs. So when you come over to the U S you don't necessarily, 
necessarily have the best grasp of English and you maybe don't have any skills that would require speaking English. So you can work in a factory, though, or you can work on, you know, one of these assembly lines, then it was a great place to go. So then it became this neighborhood system where this is where the Polish immigrants live. This is where the Germans live, which makes Chicago a fucking badass city, by the way. I love Chicago. There's just so many. It's so much good food. And it's just a melting pot of all these nationalities that blend so perfectly to get my but brother are, lived there I, and always called it the smallest big city well and it is it's so accessible and i love it because you can take a train and you're at the best italian deli you've ever been at mm-hmm. and the sandwiches are so good and the cheese is so fresh and it was so just just sliced on the slicer or you take the train and you can go to a german shop where mm-hmm. they have stuff that's from germany so the food is oh god I or chinatown want, let's go to chicago oh i would love to um, I, I love Chicago. Man, there's a place called Tufano's in the Little Italy area. It's right by University of Illinois, Chicago. Alma mater. Shout out. It's where I went. Go Flames. And it's called Tufano's, and it's down this little street that dead ends into campus. And it's a little hole-in-the-wall place, and they have the most delicious pasta, and it's so mm. good. It's a cash-only establishment. Of course it is. And there's a lot of gentlemen around in suits doing business with each other. As recently as five years ago, I guess, is probably the last time I went. And it is just oh, some of the best pasta you'll ever have. Don't take a lot of pictures. Don't ask questions. <laughs> Don't take any pictures. Just and sit and enjoy your fettuccine alfredo pay, with your head down. Exactly. Pay with cash. No one no one will say you were there. You don't say you saw anybody there. Don't rat anybody out and you'll be fine. But and you'll have a delicious meal. I think that this, this, the city at the time, there were three newspapers and they were trying to compete for basically newspaper sales. Sure. So the journalists were willing to do whatever it takes. So they post these or they publish these pictures that then, of course, in the back of the day, kind of go viral. And it makes Chicago look like this horrible, violent place. And it horrifies the people living there that it's all well and good when Al Capone's handing out turkeys and waving to everybody. But now this is what it's culminated in. Yes. That it's dangerous because there's going to be a pile of dead bodies and blood everywhere. Can you imagine opening up the paper tomorrow and seeing a very graphic photograph of just seven dead bodies on the front page? Yeah, and you wouldn't have to open it. It No, it was on the front page. Above the flap, above the pole, whatever they call it. So it was, whew. And for 1929, they didn't have violent movies or really anything. You know, we've seen horrible, nasty stuff on film. I mean, I I watched Pulp Fiction when I was like 10. Yeah. And that... Sort of warps your mind and maybe desensitize me. Yeah, and kids are seeing this. They were paper boys. Yeah. They're the ones throwing it's the cra- paper. It was crazy. It's it's very insane. So it basically had the city fed up. So let's talk about some of the suspects. When Bugs Moran learned what had happened to his crew, his immediate response was, Only Al Capone kills like that. Despite Capone having been at his mansion in Florida at the time of the massacre, most assumed he had still ordered the hits. However, no one was talking, and police did not have enough evidence to charge him with anything. If you don't want to see the pictures of the crime scenes and the dead bodies, I would recommend, however, looking at a photograph of Al Capone at his fancy Florida mansion, because he wears a hilarious 1920s swimsuit with the little straps over the shoulders. Um. He looks like Fred Mertz. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Those swimsuits. Who thought those were a good look for men? And you know, it was if Al Capone was wearing it, it was the fashion. It was the hit of the the day. Yes, and his mansion is very nice. Oh, it was very fancy. It just recently sold for like seven and a half million dollars. Nice. But he made a big deal about talking in the paper saying, I'm so excited to go to Florida. I'm leaving in February 1st. And I'm not I definitely won't be here on Valentine's Day. Exactly. I'm taking my wife to Florida for Valentine's Day. So he was a big fan of uh, plausible deniability of saying he was not around. Eventually, police charged two of Capone's men. Jack McGurn and John Scalisi with the murders. In the days after the murder, Scalisi was heard boasting, I'm the most powerful man in Chicago. In addition to being one of Chicago's most successful hitmen, he'd recently been promoted to the VP of the Unione Siciliana. He's moving up. However, before he could ever go to trial, Scalisi and two other men were found dead on an isolated road near Hammond, Indiana on May 8, 1929. It was rumored that Capone had received word that the three men were going to betray him, and at a dinner party he was throwing in their honor, he produced a baseball bat with which he proceeded to beat them to death. First of all, him in Indiana is where the casinos are now, so very nice city to visit. 
Um, anyone that lives in Chicago just shook their head. <laughs> I accidentally ended up there. It's real. It's real easy. You if, accidentally. Well, ended if you up there. are in Chicago, it's so close to Indiana and Wisconsin and stuff that if you get on the wrong highway, yes. you can just end up. And in Texas, that doesn't happen. No, you can fast. drive for eight hours and still be in Texas. Exactly. So I was very confused. But anyhow, this is one of the scenes that's depicted in the movie The Untouchables, and it's depicted in Making of the Mob, where Al Capone had heard rumblings that Scalise and McGurn were planning to kind of overthrow him and had gotten big heads about this because they pulled off the massacre and he Al Capone slapped his bodyguard in the face at this dinner party and the bodyguard ran out and there was kind of a, a little hubbub and Scalise and McGurn go in the hallway and tell the bodyguard hey if you don't like how he treats you, why don't you work for us and we'll get rid of him? And the bodyguard said, yes, that sounds great. I'll be right back. And immediately went and told Al Capone. And then this Al Capone. some survivor shit right here. Yes, it's all very survivory. And he gives this big speech about how important loyalty is. And in the middle of the speech, he picks up a baseball bat and bashes Scalise <laughs> to death. It's not funny because this is a horrible way to die. He did that in but front of. But that's crazy ballsy. He, he's got, I mean, he had no, he had no fucks to give because no, he not. beat him to death in front of a room of men and basically said loyalty is so important and we're a family please eat your dinner and everyone basically just put their head down and ate their spaghetti and did not say anything i'm not saying spaghetti by the way to be racist i'm just saying that's what they were eating in the making of the mob well they probably probably was italian food some delicious tifanos perhaps oh God, perhaps good perhaps oh it's so good well, McGurn was lucky enough not to get beaten to death with a baseball bat. Yes. And the charges against him were eventually dropped due to lack of evidence. To this day, no one has ever been charged with the crime. This massacre basically set Al Capone's whole enterprise into upheaval because there were little factions forming, much like Survivor. Mm-hmm. And then there was major, major heat on the whole thing because, like I said, it was nationwide news. Other mafia bosses were pissed off at him because he's bringing so much heat to them all Mm -hmm. of a sudden other cities wonder if they have the next al capone and they are going to start cracking down on gambling dens and illegal alcohol running so he was not only the regular average joe was pissed off at him because he's bringing violence to their neighborhood the government was mad and the other mafiosos were mad he was public enemy number one. yeah he everyone basically hated him well there are those that don't believe al capone was the brains behind this gruesome operation some think the corrupt and dirty Chicago PD actually did pull the triggers. Others claim Bugs Moran had set up his own men and had them killed to thin out the herd. While others subscribe to the Farrell theory. Will Farrell did it. He traveled through time. <laughs> he went back. He got it. They said, what's the one thing you can do? And he said, I'm going to end the gang wars in Chicago. And he didn't know what would happen. And he felt really bad. And he got back into his cop car time machine and he came back. to the- Please write this screenplay and <laughs> we will sell this. And Owen Wilson has to play Capone. It's called the Farrell Theory. <laughs> and it's Will Farrell traveling through time, messing up history. <laughs> but also savings. I think this is... Ashton Kutcher is going to have to be in it, too, because it's kind of butterfly effecty. <laughs> but now we've got Will Ferrell in it, so it's going to be really fun. All-star cast. In 1935, Frank Ferrell, a state highway employee, wrote to the FBI laying out his theory that the massacre was not mob-related at all, but rather a revenge crime that had been orchestrated by a man named William White a.k.a. Three-Fingered Jack. Hell yeah. That's that's what I'm talking that's about. A good that's the name. best one so far. White was a local gangster and held the Gusenberg brothers responsible for the shooting of his cousin, who also happened to be a police officer, which could explain how the gunman would have access to police uniforms and squad cars. I just feel like if you say the sentence, wrote to the FBI laying out his theory, automatically I think that's an insane person. Yes, and he's... He's a state highway employee. <laughs> this would be if Ielson wrote to the FBI and said, hey, guys, I don't know if you've heard this theory about 9-11, but I'm going to break it yeah. down for you. And then lots of people started subscribing to this theory. But I think in 1935, we didn't have YouTube and so or Alex Jones-esque mm, people. So point. I think if this was Frank Farrell was in 2005, he would have had a YouTube channel. Oh, absolutely. He'd probably have a podcast <laughs> and we'd all probably be listening to it. <laughs> the only issue with, with this theory was that Jack White, who I can't help but think of 
the white stripes every time I read this. Oh, well, you said William White, and I thought Walter White, but it turns yes. out it's none of those people. Well. All three fingers. When we write this screenplay, though, both <laughs> three fingers both of them will, will be in this. Why do you think they called him three fingers? Did he, Was he missing three fingers? Did he only, only have, have three, three fingers, fingers left, or did he like three fingers? Whoa. Did he maybe, instead of saying, give me two fingers when he ordered a drink, he said, give me three fingers. Oh, is that like the amount of drink in a cup? Yeah, like two fingers uh, is how much you pour of liquor. Uh, mm-hmm. But three fingers would be probably two shots, two and a half. I assumed it was a reference to a prostate exam. <laughs> Maybe that's it. There's a lot of reasons why he could have been called so three fingers. The only finger way jack. you know if your prostate's good is if you go three fingers. <laughs> you can't, don't, don't do two. You can't figure it out with two. You gotta, you gotta have three. So the only issue with him was that he was in the Cook County prison at the time of the shooting. Well, that's a small detail. Some speculate that dirty cops may have let White out to help enact revenge for one of their own being killed. Others say this is highly unlikely, and that Capone and his gang remain the most likely suspects. I think, again, we say this every time. I mean, unlike that guy in Italy, the shitty prosecutor for Amanda Knox. Manini. I like to think of myself as a Sherlock Holmes, and in this case, it's some more... Take away the most unlikely things and the truth is what's left. You know, it's obviously someone working for Al Capone, whether it was Jack McGurn or whether it was Scalisi or whether it was somebody from out of town. It was clearly orchestrated by him because he left town loudly on purpose. Right. And he, that's exactly the kind of stuff he would do. Mm-hmm. The argument that Capone was the mastermind was further strengthened when police found a prescription bottle for Byron Bolton, Capone's man that everyone assumed had been on lookout duty that day, in an apartment bedroom directly across the street from the Clark Street garage. There you go. The landlady confirmed that she had rented a room to Bolton and several other men a few weeks before the shooting. A year later, when police went to confront Bolton, they found he was already in jail for kidnapping. Bolton told police that the entire massacre had been planned at a meeting in Wisconsin led by Al Capone. I really like that Bolton just sang like a canary. Oh, yeah. Also, a year later, come on, cops. <laughs> Capone had assembled a crew of men he referred to as the American Boys, due to none of them being of Italian descent, to carry out the hit. That is not a clever name. No, and every time I read it, I think of the... Counting Crow song, American Girl. Oh, yeah. yeah, Or Lenny Kravitz song, American Girl. Oh, it's American oh, Woman. America, yeah, yeah, Also, yeah. American Boys does sound like the name of a really, really off-brand boy band. Because, yes. you know, you had, like, Backstreet Boys, then NSYNC. Yeah, I'm going to throw it down. Yeah, Backstreet Boys are better. Who was nominated for a Grammy this year? Wow. Not NSYNC. Let me oh just God. say that. We thought we got a lot of messages from our Canadian listeners. Oh, we, I will. This, our IG is going to blow up. I will write a dissertation <laughs> on why the Backstreet Boys are better. And you can't say that NSYNC had Justin Timberlake. One talented member does not a boy band make. You need five equally talented good members to make a boy band. Justin Timberlake, on the other hand, is America's treasure. He is a triple threat. He's like a quadruple threat. He's sing, dance, act. He's hilarious. He's hot, beautiful. He's a nice guy. Mm -hmm. He's got an awesome wife. He's best friends with Jimmy Fallon, which somebody's got to be. And thanks for doing that. (laughs) Obviously a saint on top of that. Doing America a favor. (laughs) And so, yes, I will all day long talk about how Justin Timberlake is one of the all-time most talented human beings that we've ever seen on television. However, the Backstreet Boys are a superior boy band. But I'm just saying, you had that that at that time when they were hit their height of popularity, all of these offshoots. Are we talking about the boy bands? Yes, or yes, yes. Back to boy bands. Boy bands. <laughs> okay, okay. So you had like Backstreet Boys, Instinct, then you had 98 Degrees, O-Town, all those. And I feel like American Boys was just the next one that yeah. was going to come out yeah. that was just sort of average. It's, it's something that the voice would produce or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or America's Got Talent. Yes, yes. Now playing the Steamtown Mall, America's <laughs> Boys. <laughs> yeah. That's the first mall. I get. The Town East Mall is the other one, I guess. Anyway. Man. <laughs> Bolton also confirmed that he was the lookout that day and mistook another gang member for Moran and mistakenly told the American boys it was go time. I think it's really important. First of all, American boys, it's go time is what they say at the beginning of their songs. <laughs> <laughs> 
just putting that out there. I, I just need to get to H&M. Are they going to be much longer? American boys. How Go much time. longer are they going to be singing? Oh, looking for an American girl. You know, it's something like that. No, I like that. Oh, American Girls is going to be their sister band. <laughs> yes. And they're going to go on tour and it's just called America. Yes, the America tour. The America tour. Copyright. Don't take, don't steal our idea. Uh, yeah, but I like that Bolton. to do after this episode. <laughs> I really like that Bolton massively fucked up and then admits to it to the police. He's already in jail. He didn't he give a fuck. Give shit. Probably the most compelling evidence pointing to Capone being responsible for the murders came from a man named Fred Burke, aptly nicknamed Killer. If you look up a picture of Fred Killer Burke, he looks like he kills people. <laughs> so it's a good nickname. It's not. It's like whenever you see like so-and-so person in the neighborhood was arrested as a sex predator and you look at their picture and you say, person, oh, OK, that yeah. person looks that, like a sex predator. <laughs> this man is named Fred Killer Burke. And you're like, he looks like a killer. Burke was one of Capone's top guys and had been identified by an eyewitness at the scene of the crime on Valentine's Day. Later that year, Burke was pulled over for a minor traffic violation when he lost his temper and shot and killed the cop in cold blood. What did I say? He's a killer. Gangster middle name is things that you do. I'm Napper. He's killer. I'm Cheeto Eater. While police searched the area for the cop killer, they also searched his house and discovered a small arsenal. It included ammunition, three bulletproof vests, revolvers, sawed-off shotguns, hand grenades, tear gas bombs, and two Thompson submachine guns. Hmm. The Tommy guns were sent to ballistics expert Calvin Goddard, and forensics tests definitively proved that they had been used in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So one of the shows I watched in preparation for this was Unsolved History. And it's old. It's probably from the early 2000s. And they basically go through and reenact a lot of parts of this to see how the guns would react, how the bullets ricochet off. And they actually go to Berrien County, Michigan, and they get the two guns that were actually used in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And they shoot them. And they watch how they bounce off the wall. And they watch how the bullets are deformed, which is some of the victims had deformed bullets in them and they when compared photographs to the bullets that ricocheted off the brick wall then it was you know looked similar but it was just so neat that the that two guns are kept in the sheriff's office in Berrien County Mich- uh, Michigan in this box up above in the arm storage room isn't it crazy and maybe it's not i don't know much about guns that they still work yeah is that I mean, normal for a you, gun yeah if you clean them and take care of them they'll still work they've it's got an infinite metal. shelf life yeah, if you don't clean them, then they'll jam a lot and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, it's not really going to erode like wood or something yeah. since it's made out of metal. But it can get gunked up in there if you don't clean I've them. never – that's not true. I shot a gun at a clay – you know, those – have I talked about this before? The shooting uh-huh. ranges where you pull the thing and the clay, the clay pigeon goes up. Skeet sh- shooting. Skeet shooting, that's what it's called. That's what that song is about. Oh, skeet, 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 skeet. <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but oh, is that Lil Wayne? Goddamn, goddamn. <laughs> Who is that? Uh, Lil John? In the East Side Boys. <laughs> why hasn't he opened a skeet shooting? Place I don't know yet? why. We He's don't have really missing an opportunity. Lil John's all skeet, 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 skeet shooting. <laughs> <laughs> and arcade. Bring the whole family. The American boys will be playing next week. Oh, God. Yeah. Special they're appearance. Headlining. They're headlining the grand opening of that. <laughs> oh, man. So you went. Well, you went off. That's the only time I've shot a gun was my point. So, okay. I've never, we don't have a gun. I don't really know a lot about guns. So I've shot a 357 Magnum that my dad owns. And it is a dirty, hairy gun. And it will not. So that's the one with the long barrel. It's humongous. It's humongous. Or the long. I yes. guess that's not the barrel. I clearly don't know anything yeah, the barrel's about guns. Really long. I don't even know what the pieces of. It's a revolver and it is powerful. It's a hand cannon. It's nuts. And it, you can't even hardly aim it because of the kickback so much. And then I went with my girlfriends to the Dallas shooting range, which would be a fun outing. And I, would I would like to go do it. I think it's Tuesdays is ladies night. And so Hell you get yeah. the range fees for free. And I think you get the gun rental for free. You just pay for the ammo. And I, I don't know a lot about guns. My friend Fran has her license and she walked up and, you know, asked for whatever gun. And then another friend went, Natalie went and she, you know, got whatever gun. <laughs> 
both of them were probably pretty embarrassed when I went up and said, what kind of gun do FBI agents use? That's, <laughs> that's the, the gun one. I want. That's the one I would want. And they to. gave me a Sig Sauer 19 something, 1900 or 1980 or something like that. But it was a Sig Sauer, I remember. And let me just say, I handled that bitch real well. I and feel I feel like I'd be a good shot. I bet you would be. I don't know why, but I feel like I would. You're precise and angry eyed. Yes. <laughs> Got a lot of pent up aggression <laughs> needs to come out somehow. You can just get it out, pinpoint aggression. But it was a very fun and interesting thing. I so. think we should go. Oh, absolutely. Do a mini soda. They on it. don't have Tommy guns there. <laughs> Damn it. All right. No. Outings off. Handguns only. Handguns only. On April 27th, 1931, Burke pled guilty to second degree murder of Officer Charles Skelly and was sentenced to life in prison. He refused to implicate anyone else in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, though. Killer Burke ain't no rat. Nope. And police didn't really push for more information. Perhaps this was because the man they thought was guilty from the beginning was already in prison on charges of tax evasion. Such a good story. Ain't that a bitch to go down on something like that? I mean... When you've... I mean... But it is... It's always something like that. Yeah. Like, you're going to get pulled over because you've got a taillight out. Oh, and they discover a body in your trunk. It's never like you're doing the thing that you do that you're really known for, and that's how you get caught. I mean, it's true. He was so, so, so careful about so many things. And in the end of the day, it was the tax Mm -hmm. man. Well, before the massacre, Al Capone was the gangster America loved. But immediately after, he became public enemy number one. No longer the popular, lovable neighborhood character, the public turned on him for bringing unimaginable violence to their city. A group of concerned Chicago citizens begged President Hoover to help. Hoover enlisted Elliot Ness, a 26-year-old federal agent, and 10 other hand-picked men, known as the Untouchables because of their inability to be corrupted, to finally put a stop to Al Capone's reign. I know girls say they like a bad boy, but I'm way horned up for Elliot Ness because he had a lot of honor. And he really, if you watch the movie The Untouchables, he really, over and over and over, Al Capone had his men try to bribe him with like insane amounts of money. There was one reenactment in the making of the mob where the one of Al Capone's henchmen comes and hands Elliot Ness an envelope with $250,000 and tells him, this is going to come every week for the next rest of your life as long as you don't do what you want us to, like, as long as you don't try to bring us down. And Elliot Ness just hands it back to him and says, no, Man, I'm not going to take this. And so Al Capone... That's willpower. Oh, seriously. And Al Capone just has to say okay well if you won't take money maybe you'll take girls well if you won't take girls maybe you'll take drugs if you won't take drugs we're gonna have to kill his family (laughs) did he ever try yeah oh yeah and that's in the untouchables movie with kevin costner they basically have to take ness's family and put them in hiding he had a wife and a kid and put them in hiding just fun fact i did not do a ton of research on the whole elliot ness part i we've i'm more focused on saint valentine's day so if he didn't have a wife and a kid that was a artistic license (laughs) in the movie according to the kevin costner movie he had a wife and kids and the best part of the Untouchables movie is Sean Connery. He's so good in oh, that. Sean Connery is hot as he's hell, He's such too. a cool old badass. He's Dude, just, so cool. Yeah, and they, you know, he's got his cool Scottish accent. Man, mm-hmm. he's dope. But anyway. I'm gonna watch this this weekend. I just feel Maybe like... Maybe before this weekend. I Maybe just, I'll get crazy. Maybe it'll be tonight. Yeah, go home and watch it. It's so... It's a good movie to go to sleep to. Lots of gunfire. But I will say it's... <laughs> oh, it'll just be like my neighborhood then. <laughs> Damn. Uh, just sounds like... Shout out East Dallas. Home sweet home. Uh, but I I think it's so annoying to me that people really idolize Al Capone. And yeah, he was rich or whatever, but he got a bunch of syphilis and goes to jail. Yeah. That's not the, the to me, the person we should idolize. No, I is Elliot Ness, who followed the rules and did the right thing, even when it was super hard and very scary to do the right thing. Those are the people I to think idolize. that's who we should idolize, not Al Capone, who has a Fred Mertz ass looking swimsuit. Mm hmm. For two years, the FBI watched Al Capone's every move and followed the trail of money he left everywhere he went. Finally, they had a strong enough case to bring against him, and on October 17, 1931, Al Capone was sentenced to 11 years in prison for tax evasion and fined $80,000. I'm so surprised it was only $80,000. Yeah, I wonder, based on the tax code back then, I'm the only tax code I'm familiar with is the one that was passed in 86, and that's still our tax code today. But maybe back then it was a certain percentage penalty or something like that, and mm. it was a lower penalty. 
I think they were also just more concerned with getting him behind bars. Yeah, they They didn't didn't care care about the money. No, uh uh-uh. Capone was first sentenced to the U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta, but after accusations that he was receiving special treatment, was transferred to maximum security at the notoriously hardcore Alcatraz in San Francisco. Capone suffered from syphilis and spent the last year of his sentence in the prison's hospital before being released for good behavior in 1939. Have you ever been to Alcatraz? I have been to Alcatraz. I've been twice. It's badass. What happened when you went? Oh, man. Well, the first time I went, it w- I did the nighttime tour, which was super what? cool. I suggest if you're going and you have the opportunity to do night or day, choose night because it's way spookier. And, like, sailing out there, it looks really cool with just the island with all the lights and That's stuff. That's so nice. Yeah. But both times I did... Maybe the second time I didn't do the audio tour because I'd done it the first time. But the audio tour is very cool that goes – you listen to it while you're walking around and it guides you and it's – you're by yourself so you can take your time. And it shows you all the major players' cells. It shows you Al Capone's cell. All, a ton of infamous gangsters and mobsters and murderers stayed I, there. I did the one with the headphones, and mm-hmm. then I also did one where they were walking around talking a little bit. But I think the longer one, I think, was the one with the mm-hmm. headphones. And I went in the haunted cell that supposedly yes. people couldn't stand to be in. And I shut my eyes and got really quiet, and I really felt like I heard whispers. And I flipped Ooh. out, and I left. But there's a, I have a picture of me. I'll put it on That's social media. Cool. I have some, the... too. I'll have to find them. And then they have the cells because – the I can't remember the guy's names that escaped mm-hmm. or attempted to escape. They were never found. It's assumed that they drowned. They had oh, yeah, on the little raft. They have their mm-hmm. cells set up and with the dummies of and how, how they, they would have got up. Yeah, that's we, a very do, cool we need story. to do an escape from Alcatraz that, episode. That was great. really really cool. There was uh, one of the cell blocks I went into was where Machine Gun Kelly was, mm-hmm. and he had what is called in the prison system a bitch. And oh, one yes. night in a jealous rage, he took a makeshift knife. Or a shiv and cut the bitch's eyes out. Whoa. And if this wasn't enough retribution for Kelly, the next day, he and four other inmates took turns pissing in the bitch's ocular cavities. While they had the body still? Anyway. <laughs> that's from So I Married an Axe Murderer. Uh- <laughs> I believe I ordered the large cappuccino. <laughs> that's a good movie. That's Phil Hartman, and he just says it with oh, the best. This is most straight face. This way to the cafeteria. <laughs> And again, that's another movie I watched when I was very little. Oh, and that was I, a staple of mine growing up. The phrase pissing in the bitch's <laughs> ocular cavities has just echoed in my brain since 1994 when that movie came out. I, I know that movie so pretty much by heart. So it's good. So, so I Married an Axe Murder with uh, Mike Myers. Highly oh, recommend. So good. So, so anyway. I'm going to also, okay, I'm going to have a movie weekend <laughs> with The Untouchables and So I Married so, an Axe so Murder. So good. So yeah, they sent him to Alcatraz where uh, you can't escape. And you really couldn't bribe people that were, I mean, Al Capone really couldn't bribe people, I guess, as much. But his ties weren't as far as California. No. So he was a little bit powerless. He's up shit creek. Starting to lose it. The syphilis caused Capone's brain to deteriorate so much that by 1941, he had the mental capacity of a seven-year-old child. He spent his final years with his wife at their home in Palm Beach, Florida watching the fish in his pond, chasing butterflies with his grandchildren, and having conversations with figments of his imagination. In 1947, he died at the age of 48. And I think his wife sold the house in Florida for, at the time, $56,000, which was not... Wow. Yeah, I think she just needed to get rid of it. She probably didn't want and the they, memories. They, he didn't really leave a will or anything, and he didn't leave money. And people wonder what happened, and his niece said... That he apparently buried money all over and hid it in the banana stand and other places. And uh, that's where you hide it. There's always money in the banana stand. But he was, by the time he was out of prison, he had deteriorated so much that he couldn't remember where the money is. That's really sad. And other, of course, the rest of it. If you're, if you're in prison and you worked for Al Capone, or if Al Capone's in prison and you worked for Al Capone and you knew that he had money hidden around and ain't nobody going to come oh, checking you're it. You're tearing up that yard. Pocket oh, yeah. that shit. I mean, so all his associates probably took a lot of money yeah, too. But for sure. He didn't really have a lavish end of his life, but he had a pretty nice end of his life that he got to hang out at his nice house with his wife and kids. Yeah, he just didn't know that's what he was doing. Yeah. I watched a... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it was pretty ridiculous. What? The documentary that I watched oh, yeah. called... I believe it was called Inside the Mob, or was that the one you watched? I watched Making of the Mob. Okay, I think this was called Inside the Mob, 
My Bloody Valentine or something okay. like that. We'll put it in the show notes. The voiceover was a guy that talked like this the entire time. Oh, it, was it was very ridiculous. Like a 1940s radio announcer? <laughs> yes. Extra, slash, extra. Slash Chicago, stereotypical Chicago gangster. But when they get to the end about Capone and how his final years were, they show a shot of the actor that's been playing Capone the entire time, sitting on his bedroom floor in his boxers with a cigar in each hand and a donut around each cigar, just twiddling them around going, dee, dee, dee. Oh, no. Someone said, let's green like that. That's yeah, a good yeah. idea. <laughs> this is how we're going to show what syphilis does like, to your brain. Wait, wait, wait. Put him in the floor. Put him on the floor. No, 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 no. Take all his clothes off. No, no, no. Leave the boxers. Leave the... Okay. What uh, are we missing? We need something. Uh, grab one of those cigars. Donuts. Give donuts. Me, me Go to the craft table. Get two of those glazed donuts. We need craft services in here. You... So I laughed oh, out loud. My. I laughed so hard. I thought I might wake up the baby. When you described that to me, the look on my face <laughs> was utter confusion. Blank. Disgust. Blank. Blank Who? face. That's one of my favorite things of watching bad stuff is to just think, who pitched this yeah. and who went, you know what? Yeah. This is a good Fuck idea. Yeah. Let's do I that. think about all the time with jingles, commercial jingles yes. or songs on the radio. I'm like, someone went into a, a, recording, a studio. recording studio and recorded this and song. And did more than one take. And at some point they with had- With gusto. They had, <laughs> they like had they, it, like it was their job. It was their job. Yeah. At some point they had a chance to go, no, this is not good. And yeah. they didn't. And they said, nope, I'm going to lean in harder. Good Lord. While Capone was in prison, Bugs Moran was finally successful in killing Jack McKern. You know what? Sometimes dreams come true. <laughs> Possibly earning a bit of revenge. However, a bank robbery charge eventually landed Moran in federal prison as well. He lived out the rest of his days behind bars before dying of lung cancer on February 2nd, 1957. Yeah, basically after Al Capone went to jail, the reign of the mafioso is taking over a city pretty much where you run the mayor's office and the police force and everything ended there's still organized crime obviously unfortunately now it's they are have their hand in human trafficking as well as the drug trade since prohibition was lifted obviously but that really was the end of an era of the gangster as basically a de facto mayor running a town right. and it was because elliot ness and the untouchables came in and dethroned him and then dethroned all of the corrupt police officers that were involved as well. Gotta cut so. off the head of the snake, Survivor 101. <laughs> watch watch any episode where their final final seven or, or closer and that phrase will be used at least three times an episode. <laughs> gotta cut off the head of the snake. Every just, time. You gotta cut off the head Survivor. of the snake. That's what Elliot is, is the original the original alliance of oh, the untouchable. He would have won. I would have voted for him you if I was on that jury. An alliance with me. I would have formed an alliance oh, with him. Oh my gosh. 100%. Well, the police never charged anyone with the murders that took place on that cold Valentine's Day in Chicago. And in December of 1931, the Chicago coroner officially closed the investigation, saying the men that died did so at the hand or hands of a person or persons unknown. Well, that's vague. To this day, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre remains the worst mob hit in Chicago history and unfortunately gave Chicago a reputation for being a city filled with mobsters and dirty cops. It's a bad reputation. It is. According to the University of Illinois at Chicago... Shout out. That's Heather, where I went. The flames. Go flames. Cook. Go flames. <laughs> she just did jazz hands. Is that <laughs> Was that their sign? Their signal? <laughs> I don't think so. I man. went to UNT. We were the Eagles, so we had the little... Did you go caca? Caca. Yeah, it was. Oh, God. That is what it is. And you do a little talent with your fingers. Oh, so no. y'all should do Ours was a dragon. Our, the logo was a dragon. Oh, that's kind of fun. And an uh, anthropomorphic flame with legs and arms. That's... We've horrifying. turned a corner. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrifying. Well, according to Heather's alma mater... Cook County's Judicial District recorded 45 public corruption convictions for 2013 and 1,642 convictions since 1976, prompting many media outlets to declare Chicago the, quote, corruption capital of America. That's not fair. Just because the statistics say that they have more corruption there than any other city doesn't mean that... that Actually, that's exactly what I mean. Damn it. You know what? It's a beautiful, majestic city, but for some of the crooked politicians. Wonderful improv. In the 2014 book, Corrupt Illinois, 
patronage. How do you say Cronyism. It? Okay, I'm going to start this whole thing over. In the 2014 book, Corrupt Illinois, Patronage, Cronyism, and Criminality, authors Dick Simpson and Thomas Gradle found that a tabulation of federal public corruption convictions makes Chicago, quote, undoubtedly the most corrupt city in our nation, with the cost of corruption at least $500 million per year. Well, when I lived there is when Rod Blagojevich went down for trying to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat on recorded lines. Mm. Like, he, there's recording. Oopsie daisy. How bad do you want it? How much do you want to pay for it? Also, he should have gone to jail for that goddamn haircut. <laughs> he looks like the guy from The Big Bang Theory, Howard from The Big Bang oh, Theory. Oh, yes, yes, man. Who told him that uh, he looked good with that hair? Which one, Howard? Any of them. Oh, Howard, I think, is getting paid millions of dollars to have that hair. That's true. The other one, Rod Blagoria, no excuse. No they probably excuse. shaved his head in jail. Yeah. So what do we think? Well, Al Capone definitely did it, obviously. Yeah. I think it's uh, – there's another theory that we didn't really get into because it's rarely mentioned, but that some uh, a family from St. Louis came up and did it, but they were just known for using police uniforms in their hits and stuff like that. But really the the most evidence points to Scalise and mm-hmm. McGurn and Anselmi and all the guys from Capone's organization dressing up. And, you can't lie with forensics. Yeah. And the Bolton guy was did look out and mm-hmm. Al Capone was very into it happening and wanted it to happen because he wanted to win and he would stop at nothing to be the last man standing in the north side versus south side. Ironically, it's what, it's what brought him down. You know what? That He flew too close to the sun. He did. Much like me with my in and out. <laughs> That's what I always tell people when I tell that story. I flew too close to the sun. You tried. You tried. I wanted too much. <laughs> you know what? It's too much to ask for. So I don't We know. have some good shout outs this week. Absolutely. We want to shout out Nikki. She is a new mom and her cousin Maggie in Australia wrote to us on Facebook and said that they keep in touch by writing each other back and forth for uh, podcasts and TV shows and books that they're they're talking about together and very proud and happy to be one of those things that they share. So hi, Nikki, as also a new you. mom, you're doing great. You're doing your best. And sometimes your best varies from day to day. And that's OK. Yes. But you're always doing exactly what you need to be doing and we believe in you also i would love to give a shout out to emily my tour guide in new orleans i just got back and she gave me tons of ideas for future episodes and was just all around a funny badass lady and what was the tour you i took a tour called killers and thrillers nice 10 out of 10 highly would recommend it okay and at the end she and i got to talking about a different case that wasn't really covered on the killers and thrillers tour and she basically took me around on kind of like a mini tour and gave me a ton of ideas for an episode we are going to do an episode We're going to do it. it around Mardi Gras, so yes. be on the lookout. So thank you, Emily. Super shout out. And shout out to Jody and Ryan, who I just went to New Orleans with. Ryan won the New Orleans Rock and Roll Marathon That's that crazy. he ran. He was in the newspaper. It was amazing. Jody PR'd. She shaved like eight minutes off her time. I've walked to 10K, but great. super shout out to Jody and Ryan, who are vaguely not really into murder and crime stuff, who I told we were going on a quote unquote ghost tour, not a gruesome true crime tour, and we get <laughs> on the tour and partway through the woman said a phrase like cooked and ate the body or <laughs> pissed in the <laughs> bitch's ocular cavity bitch's ocular cavity. and jody just looked at me and was like i love you and i'm here for you and i'm not she's like not just totally disgusted but it was very nice that they that um, is nice they went with me it's on that tour. Friend. that's so a good, good friend. friends and congratulations to ryan yeah for that's crazy He's that you were with the house. person that won that i know congrats it ryan amazing although they'll probably never hear this since they're not into true no, crime jody jody's been listening oh good hi she's jody had a long Thank commute you. to work and she said she's listening in reverse order <laughs> so hey i do that too also on Instagram, I want to shout out at always a pancake for sending us very cute pics of her dog. That was amazing. We loved it so much. Yes. She also sent us a very good suggestion for a conspiracy theory I was not familiar with. Very excited about yeah. that. And at Treyon underscore Jackson 23 for some very nice Instagram messages. They compared us to Ariana Grande. They said, Ariana Grande, get them to the day. Thank and you. Whenever we are mentioning the same breath as Ariana Grande, I'm we're in. doing something right. Very into that. So <laughs> yes. thank you so much. Absolutely love hearing from you guys. Absolutely. So thank you. Every time we get any kind of message, it really does make our day. So please keep it up. We have an upcoming live show 
at the Dallas Comedy Festival. It's going to be at Dallas Comedy House on March 30th. We don't know the exact time yet, but it will be March 30th. So go ahead and mark your calendars. We'll probably be releasing showtimes and tickets in the next couple weeks. Okay. And we'll definitely post it, obviously, on social media. We'll mention it on here. Uh, Valentine's Day, I have a show. Christy's not in it, but I will be at Dallas Comedy House on Valentine's Day doing a show. (laughs) With? Disappearing Inc. Lindsay Power and Todd Anderton and I. Very fun troupe. It is a very fun show. So if you need... Some love in your life. Go see Heather. Me and Valentine. Me and Christy. Me and Christy. Me and Lindsay and Todd will be there. You can also send me a Valentine. If you want to. With your mind. Dun, dun, dun. Well, the best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and tell a friend who you think would like to check us out. It would be the best Valentine's gift. Oh, it's it the really gift that would. we're the gift that keeps on giving. If you choo choo choose us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. And if you want to send us a Valentine, Ooh. you can do so on Instagram and Twitter at SinisterHoodPod or like us on Facebook and send us a Valentine's there. Christy, uh, yes. where can they send you Valentine's? You can send me a Valentine on Twitter at Christy or GTFO or on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather, where can you be sent a Valentine? Please, at Heather VS The World. You can also see pictures of my friend winning the marathon and other uh, things from my New Orleans trip on there. Or you can go on Twitter. I'm a, I've been tweeting like a fiend recently <laughs> <laughs> at MCK versus The World on Twitter. So please follow and, uh, you know, send us a message because we all write back. Yes, and happy Valentine's to all of you. You guys are the best Valentine's we Truly could possibly the get. Gift. The love you make us feel is immeasurable. Happy Valentine's Day to you, and it's Valentine's Day was my dad's birthday, so it's always a special That's day. That's fantastic. And as the psychic lady told me, he's always listening and watching. So I think that's thank you. beautiful, and I agree. Miss you, Daddy. Well, as always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy.